cliffcentral.com. We're going to take this conversation in a direction we're already kind of going in, but with JJ Cornish, who of course brings us African analysis, time to catch up with him. It's brought to you by the Johannesburg Business School, and we look at what's happening in and around Africa. JJ Cornish is on the line. Hello, JJ. Bonjour. How are you? Bonjour to you too. I'm immensely well and glad to have regional partners involved in this conversation. How very interesting. Yes, we've got Zimbabwe and and Zambia represented here this morning, JJ. So uh, maybe we should start with that because I think a lot of people are interested in what's happening. And poor old KF, we've given him such a hard time this morning, but he um, he can't really... (laughs) We can't really talk about all the things, and we don't want to get him into trouble, but I, I believe among the things that Vladimir Putin did when he was coming out here to bribe and, uh, and, and uh, forgive debt, he gave Emerson Gagwa a helicopter, right? Yes, he did. Before I start, though, could I ask KF, what's with that hat, man? It's fantastic. Oh, come on, JJ. <laughs> come on, JJ. That works. I've been, I, I've been listening for Are a while. Hat, you must forgive me. Forgive me. I, I you might you might not be the first person I take the piss out of today. But anyway, listen, the, the helicopter. How very interesting. Yes. Uh, but I, I tell you, the debt forgiveness. You know, the the question I'm asking about Russia is, what on earth has Russia got that to offer Africa? Why would we do what we do? Uh, exercise, attract the opprobrium of the world in order to show some solidarity with Russia, and actually in the sense of not uh, uh, condemning the invasion of Ukraine, uh, we're compromising our own principles in the sense that we grew up uh, relying on the help of strangers, the comfort of strangers, for our liberation struggles. And uh, here's Ukraine in, in much the same position, but uh, we're not... We're not uh, condemning the aggressor. Well, the fact is, Russia doesn't have a great deal in the sense of the, the like the United States or the European Union or the Western powers. Russia, rather like China, uh, can take what it can from Africa and then uh, it, it hasn't got a great deal to, to give back. It did obviously military support, support during the or and, and material support during the liberation struggles. So uh, the grain was a very interesting one when Russia cut the Black Sea uh, uh, grain shipments off that it had agreed in terms of a deal with Turkey. Putin came and said, well, I, we, we actually export more grain to Russia, uh, to, to uh, the world, and we, certainly to Africa, 10 million tons, and we will give to at least six countries in Africa, we will give that grain free of charge. Well, that seemed to be the first major financial contribution Russia is making. Now this debt forgiveness. Well, you know, um, debt forgiveness to somebody who's not able to repay you anyway is uh, could, could be seen as something empty. But I'm going to look into that in greater detail. But it did seem to me to be a little bit, uh, well, a certain tongue-in-cheek for me that one one of the one of the things that Russia gave Emerson Mangagwa was a presidential helicopter, and within well days of that happening, there was the uh, Zimbabwean support for the Russian invasion of Ukraine, and you know that just seemed to me to be uh, let me, let me, let me too ask you this. amusing for words. Yes, 
and 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 I'm not I'm not partisan as I've said to you before uh, as much as I sympathize with the people of Ukraine because they've been invaded by a hostile country and no one dis- disagrees with that and it's Russia's Russia with the aggressor in this there's no one who says otherwise but if if you are if you're a totally mercenary country and many countries in Africa have to be right because we've been lied to and misled and abused by the rest of the world for a very long time what is the west what is the West offering us? Um, I mean, it might just be it might be Emerson's helicopter, or it might be debt forgiveness, or it might be grain. But that's at least some positives on the Russian offering. What are the rest of the world offering us? And 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 what is what is in it for Africa if we if we side with the EU and the US, for example? Well, I mean, in terms of aid, there's no denying that uh, the Western aid to Africa far far outweighs any other aid, but everything comes with uh, strings, you know, and, and uh, some, some people will say that they bully us. And I, I'm, I'm among those people. I believe that enormously, you know, for example, uh, uh, debt forgiveness is one thing, as I say, to a country that, that to countries that wouldn't be able to repay it in the first place. But if you provide budgetary aid to a country, in other words, it's not simply uh, you know, investment or foreign aid or that, but budgetary aid, which means that your budget d- relies on that aid. If you withdraw that, you're really doing great harm to a country. And, and that is what uh, America is now considering in terms of Niger. They say we will withdraw our budgetary aid. And, and they've done it. They do it to Uganda. They do it to Kenya when they pass very, very nasty homophobic legislation. So, uh, you know, it's one thing that there's no doubt that the aid they give far, far, far outweighs what China gives, what Russia gives, what anybody else gives. So there is something in it for the African states, and there's no doubting that. But it's the strings attached that uh, that uh, that uh, is the nasty part of that. And thus far, we have, uh, you know, certainly Russia would want uh, the support of Africa, and that is what is it's playing for now. Vladimir Putin is all about trying to restore Russia to the role it was as part of or the leading role in the Soviet Union. And it's a dream. He's not going to be able to do it, but he's got to get the support of Africa right now. You know, and, and I hate using this kind of Africa's time has arrived, etc., etc. But there's not a country on the planet that can really survive without Africa because of the natural resources. And when you use the various uh, uh, verbs you use, you didn't use exploit. And that mm-hmm. is what the world is doing to Africa. They take our natural resources, yeah, beneficiate them, and sell the goods back to us at a hugely inflated price. Yeah, but, so but, as but long they, as they're they, able to Yes, JJ, is that our fault or theirs? Because we in South Africa, I had a, a mining expert on on the burning platform just last week. Bakabantu is on the show with me too, and he was bemoaning the fact that um, our own industry, our own manufacturing businesses, and our own refining businesses in this country are completely non-existent. So we have to send our stuff overseas. And it's not like they come and take the stuff; they pay for it. And unfortunately, to to the average African. We never see any of that money because it goes straight into the government pockets. But it's not like we're, we're they're coming here and plundering. We're selling it to them voluntarily. Yes, no, no so, denying. Don't no denying we're selling it. You know the the one endearing feature of Robert Mugabe uh, is that he 
was all about beneficiation, and he stopped the export yeah. of minerals uh, that were, that were not beneficiate. Uh, and 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 certainly Emerson Mnangagwa is trying the same thing, and it's the World Health or World Trade Organization that is going to come down on him for it. So uh, you know this is a chicken and egg situation. If you have the exploitation of goods, and you're going to keep taking natural resources from a country uh, and then sell back the goods that you've beneficiated, you are uh, putting that country into penury. So you, effectively, it is up to us, of course, and uh, will not up to us, but up to the government to take some of that money and to uh, make it, give, give grants and that sort of thing to businesses to allow for beneficiation take for example the diamond industry in the in in Botswana they were selling uh, uh, rough cut diamonds to the world and uh, finally the Botswana government said to De Beers hang on you better set up a, a, a plant here or, or, or plants here to cut those diamonds we want to sell cut diamonds far 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 more valuable so Botswana is an example uh, but yeah. I wish there were many other examples that I could cite. And and the, th the fact is that the, the money from the raw materials goes into the back sky of the of the uh, governments and in, into fat uh, salaries for government employees, even fatter salaries for ministers. And as long as that happens, Africa will remain poor and will remain exploited. So you know what, JJ, just to, just to add on to JJ's point um, and give you another example, JJ, I was in Cape Town recently um, and driving around and I noticed I hadn't seen a, a Shell uh, gas station in a long time. I hadn't seen a Caltex in a long time because none of those are, are in Zimbabwe any longer. Right. And what the economic depression has led us to do as Zimbabweans is now become our own resources. We only have one foreign fuel company in Zimbabwe, and that's Total Energies. The rest are locally owned. We only have two foreign uh, banks in Zimbabwe. That's Nedbank and Stanbic Bank. The rest are locally owned. And we're going to look back in history and say all of the troubles and struggles that Zimbabwe went through forced the Zimbabwean people to become innovative and, and, and you know, come up with their own systems of governing the nation, both economically and politically. We're going through what America went through during the Great Depression, what England went through during the agricultural revolution and industrial revolution. And we're going to look back as Africans and say, they just started it earlier because a lot of our biggest institutions, whether it be from fuel to mining, are still foreign-owned, and that has begun to change in Zimbabwe. Well, that's a very good thing. You know, I was in Zimbabwe. I spent one year as a young journalist drinking your beer, uh, chasing your women, and, well, I, I was a journalist. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm having a moment of, excuse me, I'm having a moment of fantasy here. But uh, it was in the depths of UDI, uh, and I have to tell you, KF, uh, they were very, very enterprising people, and uh, and uh, everything, all the products, locally made products, were called Ro something R O, you know, and R H O R A Ro this Ro that Ro this, and uh, it was fascinating. And then, as a correspondent to you, United Nations, and as a correspondent in London, I covered the Lancaster House conference, and then there was that brief honeymoon, my first visit to Zimbabwe after. Uh, 
genuine independence was really amazing. The buildings that had gone up were fantastic. Wow. And then suddenly when I went back uh, after the uh, Mugabe's land grabs and so on, everything had turned to dust again. And that is, And that was heartbreaking to see. And the fact is Zimbabwe is or was the breadbasket for the entire region. Zimbabwe could have fed yeah. the entire region. And then it became, you know, to make a cliche, uh, the basket case of the region. And, and I, I'd, I'd like to see it emerging from that. And really, I hope and pray that it does and that I'm around to see it. So that's why I'm right. doing my daily calisthenics, because I think I'm going to have to wait a little while. <laughs> I just want to move. I just want to move across the border because we we don't often speak about Zambia, JJ. But um, Mutale was telling us this morning they're onto their seventh president, and they're the only country out of the three that are represented in the show this morning: South Africa, Zimbabwe, and Zambia, that has actually transitioned out of its first post-colonial government into an opposition government, uh, which is an interesting development. And and how do you rate? Zambia's internal politics from your uh, journalist observer point of view? You know, that makes, uh, makes Zambia uh, uh, a genuine democracy. I mean, it's one thing to have, uh, you know, a president's change, but if they're from the same ruling party, yeah, yeah, yeah. The fact yeah. is when you have a new ruling party, and I think Haka and Hichilemba is, is good news for Zambia. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, if you, if you don't talk about the government of the country much, uh, the guy's probably doing a good job. I mean, you know, when you look right. at the say, who who's the president of Switzerland or, or Singapore or those sort of things. Right. So to some extent, Zambia is a good news story, you know. And I mean, you, I did get a warning of your guests. Uh, I don't know if it was a health warning or a, a good taste warning. <laughs> no, but I did. And so I was looking for stories. And, you know, I couldn't find... A Zambian political story. I know that they, there was the sort of debt, uh, the fact that Zambia was had to uh, make a huge loan uh, from the uh, World Bank, etc., and and there was a, a, in danger of, of uh, being uh, uh, not being able to pay the debt. Now the, mm -hmm. the fact is that that seems to be over now, and it's pushing. So the only story I could get from Zambia at the moment was about their uh, football World Cup, you know, and the Copper Queens going out in style it was very interesting so i suppose if you could if you could look at zambia in that regard it's a success story at the moment and certainly the changes of government and i'm a serious democrat i believe changes of government are the healthiest things that could happen i lived in britain where where a mate would say oh i'm voting labor this time boy and you'd say why you're a you're a died in the world tory no no labor doing more for me now and, and so I'm voting for them this time. And that's what we should be doing. And, and that's what Zambians are doing. You vote for what the politician will be doing for you, not for their history and liberation struggle or what they've done, you know, and which we do. We vote with our, we vote with our hearts when we should be voting with our heads as the Zambians are. So basically, JJ, you're saying that um, Mutale wins this morning. She She's the winner. So, okay, good. There we go, Mutale. Well, you didn't even need anything. Look at that. And and I'm and I'm not going to tell you that you, you're going out in style. <laughs> I mean, if I if I have to um, just add voice to 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 what um what, what Mr. Cornish said, um, I'm very proud about the fact that obviously it's important to acknowledge the different political parties that have ruled this country. So 
was it Garrett that said, or was it um, Mr. Cornish that talked about, I mean, what's the point if it's just one political party the whole time, just different presidents? Right. I think we can brag about that as Zambia. We had UNIP um, many, many years ago, 1964, 1991, we had the MMD. And then in 2011, we had the Patriotic Front who ruled the country. And then 2021, the United Party for National Development. So we've literally had like four different political parties the wow. last couple of years. And that's how democratic we are. But to find a story about Zambia, maybe because everybody wants to talk about something gloom and doomish, I'll tell you something which is not so exciting. This happened yesterday. Mm-hmm. Price of fuel went up. So petrol is now fetching for 25 kwacha, 57 in grey, from 24 kwacha, 93 in grey. Then diesel is now 23 kwacha, 36 in grey, um, from 21 kwacha, 87. I mean, it's not such a dark, gloomy story as you would have expected because my country is so perfect, right? But at least I had to throw in something <laughs> sad so that everybody else can feel at home. So there you go. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> No, because all your countries are suffering. There's our petrol story. We are also suffering like you. There you go. I you balance this out. So, JJ, just before we let you go, because I can't believe it's already 7 o'clock, uh, you mentioned Niger earlier on when we were talking about Russia. And Niger's oh, neighbors wow. have threatened possible military action if they don't restore cons- constitutionality within the next seven days. So what is actually happening over there? And can you give us a brief synopsis? Well, <laughs> overnight... You know, the, the, the nations are the 15 ECOWAS countries, and they have been tough before on coups. But yeah. three, of, three of those members of the ECOWAS country who say at the, at the summit, that was the decision. Restore constitutionality, or within seven days, we're going to take tougher stance, and it could be military action. Well, three of those countries, Guinea... Burkina Faso and Mali comes as no surprise because the latter two are both now under the sway of the Wagner mercenaries from Russia. And that is certainly something Russia is giving to Africa is the Wagner mercenaries, Central Central African Republic, some in Mozambique, et cetera, et cetera. But those countries have said, you take, you take military action in Niger. It will be an act of war against us. And they have expressed, quotes, fraternal solidarity that's like the Liberation War Days talk for the coup, for the putschists, the junta in Niger. And uh, Niger, of course, was a sort of a Western bastion. The Americans had bases or have bases there they were for, for their drones against the jihadis in the Sahel. France, that's been kicked out of all over the Sahel, has got a base there again, for its operations in the Sahel. So there's a, a, it's all up in the air in Niger at the moment. But interestingly, the, uh, there have been the demonstrations in the street in support of the junta. The fact is that nobody has been able to stop the jihadis. And that is what the military junta did in Burkina Faso, what it has done in Mali. By the way, Mali uh, has now uh, scrapped French as an official language. Nobody's done that since Rwanda a decade ago when they were seriously pissed off with the French. So, so what do you so you, what do you speak what do you speak in Mali now? Well, I suppose there's various uh, uh, the, the various Malian dialects, various uh, uh, languages, and I suppose they would have some. Well, might still have some Swahili up there and Igbo and and, and uh, languages like that. And, and I don't know if English would be an official language or 
maybe Russian, <laughs> but uh, wow. you know when you when you when you do the French heritage, your <laughs> cultural heritage is all that remains, or the most important thing that remains of French colonialism, and France remains the pen holder. They use that phrase uh, in, at the United Nations. The pen, the Western pen holder. There's nothing more patronizing in the world than that. And they say this is what should be happening here. We will wow. lead this. We will propose the uh, resolutions, and we will do this. And of course, the Africans are mightily pissed off with that. Well, I'm going to have to end it there, uh, JJ. But we've had some interesting discussions this morning. I've certainly found out more about what's going on in our immediate neighborhood than I have on any other morning this year. And it's good to have you on. That's JJ Cornish with the, the Johannesburg Business School bringing us African analysis. We'll catch up with you in a couple of days' time, JJ. Thanks very much. If I get into my fast car, could KF and I maybe have a shumba together? <laughs> <laughs> All right, very good. Thank you, JJ. Cliffcentral.com.